Hi, I'm Shay Taylor, and welcome to the Teach Me One Thing podcast. I started this to satisfy some of my curiosity about a variety of subjects. So what I do is I interview people that are practitioners and experts, and I ask them to teach me one thing in under 30 minutes. I hope it's as fun and entertaining for you as it is for me. I'm going to be releasing one of these every week, so make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. In this episode, I talked to Tomiwa Lashebikon. Tomiwa is a co-founder and head of product at Bycoins Africa. Bycoins uses crypto to transform Africa's financial infrastructure. They run one of Africa's largest crypto exchanges, processing over $100 million this year alone, and Sendcash, which helps users in the US send money back home using crypto. Before Bycoins, Tomiwa was a software engineer at Microsoft, working in Azure and HoloLens. Today, I'm speaking to him about crypto and Bitcoin in Africa. I want to understand where it's at and what the future is. Let's go. So Tomiwa, let's start from this. What's the current state of Bitcoin in Africa? I think the first thing that comes to mind is growth and freedom. And what that means, I think, is one with freedom, it's there is a lot of very stifling economic policy that happens in a lot of countries across the continent. Bitcoin is a very important tool for circumventing that. Um, and I, will, I guess I'll expand on that in a second. Um, but then the second thing, which is good, is that there is a significant amount of awareness and interest uh, in Bitcoin, right? And people just realizing that this is something that is very economically empowering and very freeing of the different pursuits um, that they want to make independent of very repressive government regimes. So when you say, when you talk about repressive economic policies that are going on in Africa, can you give examples for people who aren't so familiar with what you're speaking about? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So as an example, right, I'll, I'll use a country like Nigeria. So we, we have the central bank, right? And the central bank thinks that they have a monopoly on like making macroeconomic decisions. They, they set the forex rate. They have a bunch of capital controls, right? So you cannot easily access forex if you want to um, import things from outside the country. And this ends up leading to inflation. It leads to a lot of corruption. It leads to just the depreciation of a lot of people's savings because there is just a lot of currency manipulation. And like what people are able to do, right, is to use Bitcoin to circumvent a lot of these things. So one way you would be able to use Bitcoin to circumvent this if you lived in Nigeria is if you run a small business and you wanted to import something from China. The government distorts the market around you accessing Forex if you wanted to import things. But then with Bitcoin, right, you could just buy Bitcoin in the local market with your local fiat, Nigerian Naira, and send that Bitcoin to either your supplier outside the country or someone outside the country in China who is able to convert that for you um, and make payments for you. So like that, for instance, is just very critical economic activity because there are a lot of small businesses, in fact, a handful of large businesses too, um, who are just able to have their businesses continue to function, create value in the economy, independent of the whims and caprices of the uh, central bank. And do you see that going beyond just business? What about personal freedom? How do you see Bitcoin helping people that live in African countries with having more personal freedom? Yep, yep. So yeah, that's a very good question. There are like two broad ways in which you could think about this. So one is there is a lot of remittance influence to African countries. And again, central banks think in all of their wisdom that they're going to um, peg aggressive foreign exchange rates. So say you have a son 
who lives in Houston, Texas, and is a, is a doctor, they can send Bitcoin to you back home. Like the, again, there is a lot of significantly improved user experiences that facilitate this. So you, you could send Bitcoin back home to your mom. That would get converted at a rate that more closely matches the exchange rate or the reality of the market. So say, for instance, the central bank enforces the exchange rate at something like three. 180 naira to a dollar. The reality of the market actually is that it's much closer to something like 460 or thereabouts. So that's 20, 30% of value that you're trying to send back home that is being forcefully like cut off by the government. But then when you like route that process through Bitcoin, because it's a much freer market, there's a more real matching of that currency value. And then another thing would be for people who want to say, have access to resources outside the country, you want to pay for your server usage, you want to pay for your Netflix subscription, you want to pay for your Apple Music, Spotify, other things of Amazon, all of these things that have very aggressively clamped down because the government says, hey, we don't want too much pressure on Forex, so you can't spend more than $100 every month. Or be able to like route all of this through Bitcoin. And like we do have a lot of people who are already beginning to use this even more aggressively. Um, And especially as the user experience of onboarding people increases. And then like, well, the last thing would be just one of the most important things that I guess if you had asked me this two months ago, I wouldn't have mentioned. But right now in Lagos, Nigeria, there is a very huge wave of um, protests, right, uh, around Lensas. So just like this entire police brutality thing going on. And you see a lot of people just crowdfunding as a way of raising money to support the protests, or feeding people, providing umbrellas, providing shelter. What we've seen happen actually has been that the government has clamped down on the infrastructure around supporting this, right? So they go to the banks, they go to the payment processors, and they try to prevent them from accepting donations within the country or accepting donations from outside the country. The only solution literally um, has been for people to start accepting donations via Bitcoin. Significantly more than 50% of the published donations that we see has been routed through Bitcoin. Like, for instance, the organization Feminist Coalition, the only support accepting donations via Bitcoin now. Um, and this is the kind of thing that 15 years ago wouldn't have been possible, right? Because there will have just been so much reliance on the central banking infrastructure. And again, the reason why this is possible via Bitcoin is because it's permissionless, right? As long as whoever in their destination country can somehow gain access to swapping their local fiat for Bitcoin, um, they can send that to anywhere in the world, including protesters in Nigeria. Um, and this can be used either because you convert it back to local fiat to distribute or because you use that Bitcoin in and of itself as a do- donation to other people. But yeah, that those are the three um, verticals of usage for personal freedom. And I think the third one is one of those things where initially it sounds theoretical, but then again, when you truly exist in a repressive regime and you truly exist in a situation where it is just so very critical to survival and so very critical to the expression of your own humanity, it becomes so much more palpable. And like we've seen that over the last few weeks. I hadn't really thought about this angle very deeply until the events of the last few weeks. And I remember thinking that now it's really important for us to have this conversation and talk about personal freedom and cryptocurrency in Africa. So that brings me to my next question. How do you think governments will react if they realize that people are using Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies to go around the restrictions that they have put up? 
There are two broad ways in which this plays out, right? One way is, which has been what has been happening so far, has been the government has really been very oblivious to this. There has just been a lot of aggressive technology building to significantly improve the UX to provide education so that people are a lot more familiar with this. Basically, for every day that happens, that's a significant win, right? Because then for the everyday people, they can truly see the value of Bitcoin while all of this good UX exists. It, it, it stops sounding so esoteric. It stops being just this abstract thing that people talk about with mining and whatnot, right? And like the number of people that, that have helped set up non-custodial wallets so is ridiculous. So that's one really important thing to think about, which is every day in which we survive through this system is one day that is important as victories, one day that is important as just opening people's minds and understanding to the importance of this. Generally speaking, the kind of things the government can do is to clamp down on centralized exchanges and then maybe force KYC or try to break them out of the traditional banking infrastructure. So one, the worst case scenario is that that slows down adoption, but then that does not actually kill Bitcoin and it does not kill the value of Bitcoin to everyday people in the country, right? Because a lot of the Bitcoin activity that already exists in Nigeria today is through informal channels. So people are just going to continue in that system, right? Where they go to WhatsApp groups, they go to Telegram groups, they go person to person and make these transfers. And there is no way for the government to clamp down on this because me swapping my Bitcoin with you, Sheyi, and you swapping Naira with me, which is local fiat in Nigeria, there is no way for the Bitcoin to be recognized as tied to either of us in any simple way. Um, and there is also no way for the Naira transaction in the bank account to be tied to that particular Bitcoin transaction because it's a peer-to-peer exchange. And like this is just very critical, right? The fact that a lot of the infrastructure around enabling crypto today is like this. And then there are just other like, interesting things around like things like stable coins and whatnot that you could use to like avoid the complexity of the banking infrastructure, or rather like the um, stifling or restriction that they might provide. Oh, but yeah, like, I guess um, the long story short is that one, worst case scenario is like um, a slight decreased growth, um, but then I don't expect that to be significant, notably because um, a lot of the informal channels still exist. A lot of the informal channels are ways in which people are very, very familiar with trading across the continent. But yeah, yeah, I think those are my thoughts around that. Okay, that makes sense. I agree with you on most of those points. But I want to push back a bit with the idea of on-ramps and off-ramps, right? So people, you know, earn money in fiat currencies, whether it's Naira dollar, they, they move it into crypto, they transact in crypto, you know, they operate, they, they store their wealth, but they can't need an off-ramp. And I think that centralized exchanges do like a fantastic job of helping people get on-ramps onto crypto and an off-ramp, you know, back to fiat where they're using their day-to-day lives. When governments go after the companies that provide the off-ramps or the on-ramps, what do you think the effect of that is, if you can go a little bit deeper into that? Um, Sure, okay. So so I guess I'll sort of like try to dive a bit more into thinking around the worst case scenario. So, So yeah, I think one is there is obviously going to be a lot more friction around adoption, right? What that looks like is right now we are set on a path where we are going to be able to build user experiences that allow my grandmother access to crypto, right? Or at least use Bitcoin as a rails for solving her problems. And she might not necessarily be aware of that. In fact, in the example I gave you earlier, where I was talking about the doctor in Houston um, trying to send money to his mom back home in Nigeria, for instance, there is a service called SendCash that allows 
that doctor do that without his mom having a knowledge of Bitcoin, right? And what really is happening behind the scenes is that there is a bank account number that is mapped to a Bitcoin address. Anytime the doctor sends Bitcoin to that address, it's automatically liquidated and a Naira transfer is done for his mom. So yeah, you're right in the sense that when you start seeing a lot of clampdown, there is obviously going to be a high cost in terms of the number of people that you're able to get onboarded. Um, but then again, like I, I think the, sort of the way to think about it is like, again, two-pronged, right? Where in, increasingly the number of people who use this technology, and especially people around the world who use this technology, the, the stronger it sort of gets, right? And the other it is for governments in and of themselves to even like exist independent of this right so like one of the things to think about is something like internet infrastructure where yeah, the government could decide um yeah we want to turn off your internet infrastructure and whatnot but then there's just so much value in terms of efficiency that the internet provides that the government isn't even very strongly incentivized to do this often right so they, you, you sort of work very few geographies that exist in the world and like very very few that even exist in africa where there is a blanket indefinite internet ban okay so one of the things i want to talk about was intra-africa transfers so transfers between african countries are just so difficult and so expensive and so complicated people from outside africa might not realize that sending money to say nairobi or, or sending money to to accra it is remarkably hard and this is somewhere where I think that crypto could theoretically provide alternative infrastructure for people who want to trade across the continent. What do you think about that? And why do you think that's taking so long to execute? That, that's another good question. So, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Where I think up until very recently, maybe within the last one or two years, right, basically sending money from Nigeria to Ghana literally means the money goes to the U.S. first, <laughs> which is just nonsensical. You sort of think about that as very different from a lot of the economic efficiency that you might, that might exist in, like, say, somewhere like the Eurozone. So the, the first thing about why this has taken so long for governments to do, right? Governments have spoken a lot about having a unified currency and things along those lines. But then again, when, when you start thinking about things that are very useful for economies, governments tend to not be incentivized to do them simply because that's not their priority. Their priority is pursuing natural resources and selling them and exploiting and things along those lines. So that's just like one category of things. Uh, where the incentives are just not aligned because what they're pursuing is just like a whole different category of things. That puts the burden on us to find technological solutions, right? Or other ways to circumvent this. So yeah, Bitcoin absolutely is a very critical tool around this. And what would the big way in which you see that play out right now would be, say, across a lot of people who work in fintech spaces. So a lot of people will travel between Lagos and Nairobi and places like that, right? Um, Bitcoin ends up being one of the really efficient ways of moving money across borders, where you can earn, if you live in Lagos, Nigeria, and you earn in Nairobi, um, even if the, you got paid in Kenyan shillings, you can very easily use that to buy Bitcoin in Kenya, send it to Nigeria, and like liquidate it for your Naira in Nigeria. In terms of like trafficking trade, right, that's going to be another corridor that starts getting explored. Right now, it's not very strongly explored, simply because like, the vast majority of um, crypto utilization is focused on like, corridors that are biggest for trade, which tends to be between Nigeria and China and the US and places like that. But then over time, it's just going to become increasingly obvious where like, there is this 
$400 billion intra-African trade market that is going to become significantly more efficient as people like begin to use Bitcoin more so for distance. So one of the things that is just going to end up happening around, you can basically make the argument that we've seen a test pilot of that existing in Nigeria, is that there is just going to be a significantly better on and off ramp in Kenya. There will be significantly better on and off ramp in Ghana and in a lot of other African countries. And because of that, that would just significantly improve the flow of funds using Bitcoin. I like to take a step back to think about a place like Nigeria, where just three years ago, Bitcoin was still very niche. Bitcoin was still very thought of as associated with MMM. Like even for a lot of tech progressive people, they would not necessarily take the risk interfacing with it. Sorry, for oh. those who don't know, what's MMM? Oh yeah, MMM is a Ponzi scheme that got really popular in Nigeria. And so you sort of like have just those kind of things that have happened historically, right? And like the existence of companies like Bycoins and companies that have just been very deliberate about building on and off ramps has significantly helped with education, has really significantly improved awareness and actually helped people realize that this isn't esoteric geek language, right? This is something that is useful for me because the user experience just abstracts a lot of the complexity away from right? So Nigeria being a successful case of that is just going to see us over the next four or five years see a lot of those things um, happen in other African countries. Um, and like that would just be the foundation that would be the technology infrastructure layer um, on which all of these other things, utility for trade um, ends up being. But yeah, you're, you're completely right in terms of like, the strong value for that. I'm very bullish on, on the idea of using crypto to build uh, alternative financial infrastructure for the African continent. I think that there is a lot of sludge in the African continent intra-country. So internally, you know, the banking systems work pretty decently. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, though, that within African countries or in between African countries, it's just so hard right now using traditional uh, financial infrastructure that it makes sense that crypto will uh, step in and provide people an easier way to send money, transfer money. This is the, unfortunately one of those interesting chicken and egg problems, which is if you build better rails for sending and receiving money between African countries, does that help improve trade or does trade need to improve before you build better rails? It's one of those interesting questions. Okay, say I'm an investor and I'm thinking about this space, maybe even your company. What's the elevator pitch for why you should be making crypto investments in Africa or, in, or investments in companies that are building out this future in Africa? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So I'll take it this way. One, Africa is a continent of a billion people, and the vast majority of these people are below the age of 18. For these people, the internet is native to them. The internet is their geographical jurisdiction, if you may. Mobile is very native to them. And for all of these people, right, Bitcoin and crypto is a very important aspect of their economic reality and their economic world because they need to be able to like edge against currency depreciation. They need to be able to edge against inflation. They need to, they need to be able to move money across borders, to move money within Africa, to open Africa up and open themselves up to the rest of the world. These are people for whom remote work is a very strong reality and possibility, and they need to be able to accept payments. And these are people for whom they need to be able to break away from the repressive regimes of governments that they exist in. Right, so like when you think about like the future of the world, Africa is a very important part of that future, right? Simply because of the raw talent and the 
existence of all of these young people who are the future of the planet. Like when you think about what the economic infrastructure that they're going to be leaning into is, what you think about the economic reality of the tools that solve their everyday problems, Bitcoin and crypto are just very essential to all of that. Think about a lot of the data that indicates that Africa today is basically at the precipice of the growth that China and India has experienced over the last two decades. And all of that growth is going to exist on crypto as the rules. Without a doubt, right? Like betting on the future of the planet is betting on the future of Africa and betting on the future of Bitcoin as the economic rules for supporting all of that. Tomiwa, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I hope you're staying safe. It's this been is like been super useful. Yeah. And and I really, you know, would say that I'm looking forward to this future. I think it's it's gonna be super empowering. Hope to talk to you again at some other time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Like I said, I'm going to be releasing one of these every week. So make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You should also check out my YouTube channel where I'll be posting these as well as other content. See you next week.